Hallelujah. We're so glad that you joined in our podcast. I'm just, uh, I'm thrilled when I see how many people are listening to these podcasts and, and just uh, hopefully being enriched, being educated, being, being discipled by the Word of God. That's what we're here for is to, to help disciple men and women by the Word of God so that their lives can, uh, can be a, a light to others, that their lives themselves would be transformed, but that uh, they also would, would be a, a, just a beacon of hope to other people. How many of you know that, you know, the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes, but when somebody gets saved, when somebody radically gets transformed, born again, I, I've said this before and people kind of look at me in unbelief, actually, when, when I tell people, I said, you know, I, I grew up in North Detroit, up in Pontiac, Michigan, and and uh, I started using drugs and started using alcohol and smoking cigarettes at the young age of seven. And people look at me in disbelief, and I spent 20 years uh, dealing with substance abuse issues. And God got a hold of me when I completely 100% surrendered and I made him Lord of my life. God radically delivered me. It wasn't a, a 12-step process. It wasn't a long, drawn-out uh, thing that I had to go through, it, it was instantaneous that God completely delivered me. Now, did it stop there? No. I mean, I had to continue to study to show myself approved. I had to get into the Word. I had to stay faithful to the Lord and and go to church and fellowship with other believers. But the the desire, the urge, the things that made me want to uh, drink and those type of things like that before and do drugs was completely gone. And, and so as we're coming out of this resurrection season, last week I preached to you about the, the importance of why Jesus had to rise, why it was so important that he rose from the grave. Today I want to share with you, what do you believe? What are your thoughts? What are the things that you think about when you think about resurrection? What, what does the world think about the resurrection? We've got all these different things that people believe in, in their, their minds and things they've heard about in history and uh, wise tales that have been passed down from generation to generation. But, but, but what is the truth? What is the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 and 39, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, anybody that's read their Bible or been to church at any time, almost everybody understands the story of Jonah, how Jonah was um, disobedient to God. He, he ran when God told him to go to Nineveh. Instead of going to Nineveh, uh, he got on a boat to try to escape, and a, a storm hit uh, the lake that he was on and began to, uh, they, they started throwing things overboard. They were in fear for their life, and they, they started praying to their false gods. And then Jonah came and he said, listen, this is, this is my fault. I've done this. And they said, what should we do? And 
And he said, throw me overboard. And so they, they threw him overboard as a, as a sacrifice. And, and we know that the Bible says a large fish came and, 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 and swallowed up. And, and for days he was in this large fish alive. And he cried out to God. And, and, and God spared Jonah's life. And, and that large fish spit him out uh, on the beach. And he went to Nineveh. Even, even though he still didn't want to, he went to Nineveh. And he declared to them that they must repent or they would be destroyed. And, and people say, well, did that story really happen? Did the story of Jonah really take place the way the, the Bible says it took place? Or is it just some imaginative person that, that wrote this story? Well, Jesus himself, who we know is real, Jesus himself, who history has wrote more about than any other person, Jesus himself said, the only sign that I will give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Did Jonah exist? Absolutely. Did what happened in Jonah exist? Absolutely. What happened for Jonah? Three days in the belly of a fish. Three days presumed dead to the world. But then God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said, the only sign that I will give you is three days. Three days presumed dead by everybody. But then, but God, I will rise again. Timothy Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you and I have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is on whether or not you like, is not on whether you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Again, let me, let me say that because I stuttered a little bit, but Timothy Keller said, listen, it's not whether you like Jesus' teaching. It's not whether you like the things that, that are taught in church. It's whether or not you believe that he rose from the dead. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus said, the only sign that I will give you is the sign of Jonah, that they thought Jonah was dead at the bottom of the sea, but he was not dead. Three days later, he showed up on the beach alive. Jesus said, the sign that I will give you is that you're going to presume that I'm dead and I was, but then I will rise again from the grave. This is the reality. If you believe in Jesus, we have the promise of a resurrection ourselves, a promise that we too shall be caught up in the air to live with him for eternity if we truly believe. So we need to come to the conclusion today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more than a fairy tale, more than a legend, and more than some religious symbol. It is a historical fact that is indisputable. Billy Graham said, There is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. We have more evidence of the life of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
than we have of other historians that people want to talk about schools. Schools will teach about Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great and all these other people, but they won't talk about Jesus, who is the most famous person that more things have been written about than any other. How can these men make such statements? Is there really evidence that makes believing in the resurrection more than a leap of blind faith? If I told you that I'm the greatest preacher ever, you would look at me and say, prove it. But I'm not, all right? If I said to you, I had a million dollars to give you, you would say, show me the money. Prove it. But I don't have a million dollars. If I said that Jesus is alive, most people in our nation today would say, well, prove it. Church, he is alive, and I have proof. First, we need to understand the proof is in the suffering. Some have concluded that Jesus just passed out and revived later in the tomb, but that is completely, utterly absurd. Christ suffered horribly on the cross. Let me explain how horribly he suffered and eventually died. He began his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22 verse 44 that him being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then his suffering continued from there throughout his interrogation before Caiaphas, where the Bible says in Matthew 26, 67, then they spat in his face and beat him and others struck him with the palm of their hands. Then he was taken to Pilate who fell to the pressure of the people and handed Jesus over to the soldiers. And the Bible goes on and tells us in Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31, Then the soldiers and the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thrones, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail! King of the Jews. They sent him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Bible scholar Hank Hangriff writes in his book about the resurrection The Roman system of crucifixion had been so fine tuned to produce maximum pain. In fact, the word excruciating was invented to fully codify the horror of crucifixion. John chapter 19, verse 31 through 37 says, Therefore, because it was the preparation, the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was high was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and, and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he was seen and testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows and he is telling the truth so that they would believe. For these things were done that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. 
And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. As if being beaten within an inch of your life was not enough. If not being spat on and cursed was not enough. If not being crucified to, to a wooden cross was not enough. Then they went out to break his legs. But because Jesus was already dead, they shoved a a spear into his side. Can you imagine the suffering? Can you imagine the horror of the cross? See, the proof is in the suffering. Who, Who else would ever think to suffer that kind of of, of horror and death unless they truly believed, unless they truly knew without a shadow of a doubt the promise of God and the promise of the resurrection. Jesus said that if you truly believe in me, though he may die, he too shall live. The second proof that we have is in the empty tomb. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 6 says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices, and they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said to themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. See, some might say, because they've been taught lies, that the Romans or the Jews broke into the tomb and stole the body. But that makes absolutely no sense. What motive would they have had to steal the body? That would only encourage something that they wanted to squelch to begin with. Jesus had told people he was going to rise from the grave. That's the whole reason that they went to to. to the governor and said, hey, can we put soldiers outside the tomb? The last thing that they wanted was for the body to end. The Romans would have never stole it. The Jews didn't want to steal the body. What they wanted was that body to be there, remained in that seal to be closed so that they could squelch all the stories once and for all that he was the Messiah. Huh. But the tomb was empty. Not only was the tomb empty, but the shroud lay there. The Bible says, Matthew 28, verse 11 through 15, says, Now they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that they had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and the saying commonly reported among the Jews to this day. To this day, those in Jerusalem, those in Israel, will still say that the body was taken. See, the tomb was discovered empty because it was empty. Nobody got the tombs mixed up. Nobody stole the body. It was empty, period. 
It was Jesus rose from the grave. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 3 through 9, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. So both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon came in following him and went to the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Listen, if they were going to steal the body, would they take time to unwrap it? Would they take time to, 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 to lay the linen cloths? Lay the, would they take time and, and set the napkin that was upon his face off in a place where he knew the disciples would see it? Or would they just run in there and snatch the body and run as fast as they can? Listen, the proof is in the empty tomb. The proof is in his suffering that he suffered for you and for I. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. The proof is in his appearing. See, not only do we have the proof that, that Jesus said he was going to do what he did and rise again, but he also began to appear to others. See, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was his many post-resurrection appearances. In Luke 24, he met two men on the road to Emmaus. He spoke with them. He talked with them. He even broke bread with them. And their eyes were open. And the Bible says that didn't our hearts burn as he revealed these things to us. See, we have the proof of two men that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. In John's Gospels, he got John's Gospel, he met with his disciples in the upper room and he showed them his hands, he showed them his, his feet, he showed them his side, he showed everybody that was in the room that he was truly alive. Even to Thomas, he said, Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe that have not seen. Thomas saw scars. Thomas saw his risen Savior. The proof is in his appearing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 6 says, For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then the twelve, after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. More than 500 people saw the risen Lord. There were surely many people that could testify to the trustworthiness of this statement. Paul's statement had plenty of eyewitness testimony to back it up or to disprove it being false. But it was not false. It is not false. We have proof in his appearing that Jesus appeared to them. He even appeared to the Apostle Paul himself. We have proof in the resurrection. And fourth and most important is we have proof in the transformation. Proof in the transformation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, the reality is that transformation in Jesus' followers still takes place today. This is evidence in the proof of the resurrection. 
See, the men that followed Jesus, his disciples, they went from being fishermen, tax collectors, politicians, to being disciples, preachers, prophets, and mighty men of God. These men went from hiding to declaring the goodness of God. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, these disciples... These former fishermen, these former tax collectors, these men that ran and betrayed Jesus the night of his, of his betrayal, they come back. Why would they, why would they come back? Why would they be willing to suffer death if they did not believe? See, these same disciples had experienced, they had seen the risen Lord. They saw the empty tomb. They knew that he was alive. They had spoke with him. They had eaten with him. And now their lives were radically transformed. They were willing themselves to go through horrible torture and death. These disciples, if you read of the martyrs, were beheaded, crucified upside down, tortured and abandoned for the cause of Christ. Who would do such a thing? Lee Strobel said in his book, The Case for Easter, he says, nobody willingly dies for something that they know is false. But they knew it was true. They knew that Jesus had died and they knew that there was an empty tomb and that they had seen him. That was why they were willing to declare the good news. That's why they were willing to, to suffer and die for the cause of Christ. Orland said, The disciples had nothing to gain by lying and starting a new religion. They faced hardship, ridicule, hostility, martyrs' death. But in light of all this, they could never have sustained such unwavering motivation if they knew that what they were preaching was a lie. The disciples were not fools, and Paul was cool-headed intellectual of the first rank. There would have to have been several opportunities over the three to four decades of the ministry to reconsider and renounce the lie. See, the original followers and hearers of the first century were so radically transformed that they affected their culture and our history. They transformed, the, the transformation of these people has been continuing for over 2,000 years. The ministry of adult and teen challenge of the Upper Cumberland, the ministry of adults were seeing people's lives changed and transformed every day. The local church is seeing people's lives changed and transformed on a regular basis. You've heard testimonies of, of our ladies, of our students, of our graduates, of how God radically transformed them. I've shared my testimony uh, again of how I started using drugs at a young age, but today I'm declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the proof of the transformation. I know that my life has been radically changed. I've seen others that I visited in jail that, that, that we helped get into Teen Challenge. And today they are ministers themselves preaching the good news, telling others their testimony. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to Hades and to death. The Bible also tells us we've been made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the words of our testimony. So what do you believe? This, this coming week after the resurrection, this coming week after many called it Easter and, and many had bunnies and eggs and stuff, but we the church understand that the reason we celebrate is because of the resurrection. Do you believe? What more proof do you require? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Church, he suffered for you and for I. He went into the grave and on the third day rose again and the tomb is empty. He appeared to his disciples and to over 500 and he still appears to mankind today. And we have proof in the transformed lives of people that were once bound that are today free in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to minister your word. I pray for those that have heard this message and I pray that you would touch them mightily, that lives would forever be transformed till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we will spend eternity with him if we believe. We thank you, we bless you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week.